Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 229. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Every second of every day, your restaurant is talking to you. Between the chatter online, interacting with your POS system, or making transactions with your credit card processor, these are all opportunities to collect data, crucial data that can help you make the right decisions in your restaurant. To learn more, schedule a demo by going to resources.upserve.com slash restaurant unstoppable. Yo, what's going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? It's your host, Eric Ketchatori, and this is the podcast for personal growth in the restaurant industry. We do it by listening to and uh, just taking the advice from successful, proven successful restaurant professionals, our melting pot of mentors, uh, who just <clears throat> are here to kind of shine a light on the path of success. Today, we're talking to Jeff Benjamin, the author of Front of the House, Restaurant Manners, Misbehaviors, and Secrets. And this is just a great front of the house book. Uh, there's not enough of these books, in my opinion, that just capture the stories of, uh, you know, what kind of things we, we deal with in the front of the house, uh, the recommendations from Jeff Benjamin, and uh, just how to treat people, how to treat your guests, the really what goes into this work, uh, the passion that's required, uh, just what has made Jeff Benjamin and Mark Avetri, uh successful in their partnership. And it's, it's a must read for anybody in the industry. Uh, so hopefully we can start doing more of these interviews where I'm uh, now going to the people who are writing these books, the books that are recommended to re- that from our guest mentors for us to read. I want to start approaching those authors and having these talking Tuesdays with these people just to dive into their books to really pull back the layers in the books and to send you in the direction to put you in front of the content uh, that will help you become more successful in your restaurant. So that's what we're doing today, talking to Jeff Benjamin. It's going to be awesome. He is just a wealth of knowledge, proven successful person, one of the best in the industry. Uh, this book rivals setting the table. I'm telling you it's that good. So sit back and enjoy this interview. Here it is. All right. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Jeff Benjamin. Jeff, tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. Oh, I am very unstoppable at the moment. I mean, you are. You really are. This book was so much fun to read. So you're on the show today because we're going to be discussing your book, Front of the House. Uh, and I just had so much fun reading this book. I feel like I'm a better person because of reading it. Um, just a little bit more info on you, who you are. Jeff is the chief operations officer for the Vetri Restaurant Group. Uh, and like I said before, the author of Front of the House, uh, Restaurant Manners, Misbehaviors, and Secrets. Uh and I just had such a blast. You were on the show before. This is your second time on the show. And um, the first time I had you on the show, I'll be honest, I, I discovered your book just before you came on the show. I really didn't have time to dive into it. And I was a little embarrassed. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And uh, I'm, I'm happy you brought it up during the interview because I, I, uh, I feel like now we're going to really dive into the book and do, uh, you know, just give your book the justice that I felt like it deserved the first time you were on the show. And I'm so happy I picked up this book because it was such a blast to read. Um, so I'm just gonna give. I'm gonna start off with that success quote or mantra, Jeff. Uh, usually mm-hmm. I have my guests share that success quote or mantra, but today I'm gonna take a quote from your book that I just love. Uh, and that quote is, uh, "We may appear like a raft of ducks gliding across the surface, while in fact we're paddling like hell." <laughs> um, and the, I mean, w- w- what does that quote mean to you? Uh, what does that line mean to you? And then I'll share what it means to me. 
Well, you know, it depends on who the, who the person you're sharing that line with, you know, it means so many things to so many people, but those of us in the business, I think everybody gets that. It means the, to achieve success uh, is when the optics are that we are moving seamlessly, even though there's so many moving parts that create a, a seamless night. Actually on the drive in here, just now to, to my office, uh, I had a guest call me who was in last night and he was just effusive about how, everything seemed to just happen exactly the way it was supposed to happen for him at dinner last night. He had called ahead. The reason why he was able to call me was because he had called ahead uh, because he had some special requests about how to handle some family members with some specific dining issues and their, their seating arrangement and they increased in size. And there's a lot of things. And I said, yeah, none of this is a problem, please. None of this is a problem. He kept saying, and, and so when he called me, he's like, you were not kidding that none of it was a problem. I said, you're absolutely right. None of it was a problem. Even though, the 72 hours leading up to his reservation, me and the managers and servers all kind of talked about all the different desires and all the things we needed to do to get his night right. Outwardly, we were the ducks on top of the surface. It was just a question of what was happening underneath the surface. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think it matters that, you know, one of the things that we do well in our industry when we, when we are successful is we let the guests believe that it all happens seamlessly. Although that could also be a problem because then everybody, everybody thinks we got the easiest job in the world. <laughs> well, I mean, when I first read that quote, I really kind of just read over it. It didn't really uh, sing to me like it does now. Um, when I first read it, I was thinking, yeah, I mean, there's so much that goes behind the production, that the things that happen every night, the things behind the scenes, the communication that's going on. And on the surface, when done right, it's like it just happens so naturally and freely. And it's just beautiful when done right. But when I read it a second time, uh, when I re- you can take that you know, idea, that philosophy of you know, on the surface when things are done right you know, outwards looking in, it just looks like you're, you're gliding on the top, but like to be truly successful at anything in life, you got to hustle, you got to work your ass off. You got to put the hours in and that's the pedaling under the water that people don't see. And then when you become successful, you know, everyone just looks at you and goes, wow, it must be nice. He's just sitting there floating all these beautiful, yeah, exactly. restaurants, all these great people <laughs> working for him. But man, did you paddle your butt off, dude? Uh, and you know, you really get to see it after reading the book, uh, seeing the story, you know, between you and Mark. And uh, that's one thing I want to talk about today is that relationship, the story that goes behind the Vetri restaurant group. So um, we'll dive into that. First, I want to ask, why did you write this book? Like, what was uh, your underlying reason for writing this book? You know, it's interesting. Uh, several reasons. You know, one is uh, I enjoy writing. It's, it's, I'm not a writer by trade. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm actually, I actually am guilty of the exact same thing I accuse some people of. You know, everyone looks at us and says, oh, I want to do your job. I like what you do. And I think to myself, yeah, I'd love to be a writer. And then I meet professional writers and I'm like, I wouldn't want your job for all, you know, all the marbles, you know, because they, they work really so incredibly hard, but I've afforded the opportunity to not have it as my day job. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm an amateur writer at best, but I enjoy writing down my thoughts. And so I've always kind of thought about there's such a great wealth of cookbook knowledge out there and cookbooks have evolved into these things that chefs write that are actually uh, more educational than they used to be. They're not just a collection of recipes, but they're stories of the passion behind them. And there wasn't a whole lot of stuff written out there by what we do on our side of the kitchen door. Yeah. So when, you know, you know, obviously we can point to Danny Meyer's book, which is incredible. And, and Charlie Trotter wrote quite a few and, and there's some good ones out there, but no, nowhere near the amount that, that there are for, for, uh, back of the house. So, you know, it was kind of more of a labor of love and a friend of mine who's a publisher was kind of looking for an interesting angle for their next book. And so he said, well, you take a stab at it. So I did. Yeah. And I'm happy you did because I mean, it's just such, there's just so many little lessons that can be taken away. And I think so too often people put so much emphasis on the back of the house. And I mean, yes, you need to have that. Like it's, it's crucial. Like you need that, that food, but I mean, one thing I've seen a few times just doing my research and so something that we in the industry know is that it doesn't matter how good your food is. Uh, you need that other half of the house to deliver and to, to represent that food and to give that food the justice it deserves. Um, and that's the hard part, like really trying to 
bring both sides of the house up together. Uh, sometimes you see it, these restaurants that have incredible food, but the, the front of house just doesn't do justice. Right. Well, I, yeah, exactly. You know, there's plenty of times I think all of us have been on table. We thought the food was wonderful, but we're left underwhelmed by the, uh, the lackluster performance in the front. You know, it's Mark's big, you know, Mark's big thing has always been that what, what they do back there is only half the battle and, and that we really need to make sure that what, what they do is translated correctly. You, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really, uh, you know, write an orchestral uh, orchestral movement or an opus uh, and not have it performed correctly. Yeah, and, and I love your reason for creating this book or writing this book is to um, represent the front of the house or the things that aren't food that are so important, whether it's the marketing, the, the leadership, the management, um, that are so critical to the success of a restaurant. And the reason why that sings with me is because that's exactly why I started this podcast, because I was searching for a podcast about personal growth, about leadership, about management, about treating people right, uh, the art of the trade. And it was all, when I looked for podcasts, it was all just food podcasts. And it's just like, what the hell, yep. man? <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, it's a great book. And some of the words I wrote down, just going through um, the underlining message that really saying to me, uh, just trying to think about, you know, a way to describe this book is these are the words that I wrote, caring, soul, passion, authenticity, knowing who you are, being genuine and just being an overall good person um, is what was a theme that kept, you know, just kept jumping out at me. So would you say that theme behind the, is that a theme to the book or am I, is, is it just my, uh, you hit the nail on the head. No, you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's a good theme to life, right? Be a good person. Mm. And, um, you know, without getting too existential or, <laughs> or, or spiritual, <laughs> you know, you know, it's our job as, mm-hmm. as, as, you know, citizens of the world to try and be good people, but we're still humans and we make mistakes. And, um, you know, so I point that out in the book too. I point out times when we've made mistakes and how we've addressed them because, um, nobody leads a mistake free life and nobody, nobody leads a mistake free day. And, um, but part of being a good person is a your willingness to own your own mistakes, mm-hmm. and b your willingness to look at someone else's mistakes for what they are. Uh, so it's kind of a two-way contract we have with our customers. It's a two-way contract we have with our friends. Um, you know, in in the last you know whatever twenty-four hours, I'm sure I've made twenty-four hours worth of mistakes. But <laughs> well, you know, at the end of the day, you know, none of them none of them a were intentional. I guess the truth is, if if, if none of that is done with intent, uh, then I look at at our business and. You know, people who come in, who, who utilize hospitality industry services, whether it be at a hotel or a restaurant, or flying somewhere, whatever it is, they're quick to point out so many of the things that they consider to be wrong and yet never take a, the time to look at those paddling feet under the water to wonder why they went wrong. And is there, what part did they play in helping it to go right or wrong? You know, and getting that call this morning to start my Monday from the guest who said everything went seamless last night. That's a good way to start the day. But, oh, yeah. you know, for every one of those, I get another one that calls and says, listen, you guys ruined my weekend. I'm like, well, let's talk about that. So you know, what do we really do to ruin your weekend? Jeff, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, you share some examples in the book of where you think didn't go perfectly. Is there one yep. story that you share in the book that really uh, comes to mind and you want to share that story and then, uh, you know, kind of pull it apart a little bit? Yeah, you know, um, I... I, th- I think we talk a little bit about in the book about the, the, the guest who came in as a party of four and, uh, and his, his chicken wasn't cooked properly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and, and I guess, um, I guess the best way to address that with your listeners is to specifically only state that that was part and partial. The only thing that went wrong at that dinner. Yeah. And yet we were accused of, of, of ruining the guy's night. Oh, you know, so, so, so then you start thinking about, well, I just want to inject real do? quick. Like, cause my blood was boiling when I was reading this, but keep going. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, my blood was boiling when it happened, you know? <laughs> okay. and not because, not because we weren't at fault. You know, we definitely, you know, we we we, we didn't cook the guy's chicken appropriately, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just unacceptable. Yeah. But, you know, we tried to remedy the situation in several different ways, 
But the guest had it in his head exactly what the remedy ought to be. And rather than taking the tech, but wow, these guys are hospitality focused and they, they tried their hardest to fix my situation. It was basically a very selfish and one-sided. They didn't fix it the exact way I wanted it fixed. And, can you we, know, it was... Can uh, we dive into that tough. story a little bit more? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, Jeff, because I really just want to paint... Yeah, the, no Because you really went to extremes to make that right. Like, uh, you, you know, oh, yeah. immediately... You, I think the first thing you did was you, you apologized and you brought a new dish, which you liked. Yep. Um, you, I think you uh, didn't charge for that, his, his meal. What else were some of the other right. things that you did to, to make it right? Well, let's back up and let's talk about how it all started, right? So yeah. there's four people and they actually had already had their first court. And, you know, as again, I always point to what my wife would say because she's not in our business. She's like, well, it's four people who are out together. So it was like two couples who enjoy each other's company, right? So to some extent, what we were doing was really just the supporting role for their night, right? They wanted to be together. Mm. So I would hope that they were having a good time regardless of the result of the food. But so they had their first course and everybody, including the guy, liked their first course. They had a great time. Everything was good. You know, they were seated on time. They got their drinks. I mean, everything was happening the way it's supposed to. When the next course came, three of them were cooked fine and, and, and to their expectation, and this guy just wasn't. So, you know, that doesn't always happen, but when it does, it happens enough that we have protocol. And the mm-hmm. protocol is to offer, A, to cook that exact dish correctly, B, replace it with something else, or C, ask the guest if there's anything we can do for them. Well, he said, I don't want this. You ruined chicken for me. I don't want chicken. Okay. What if we brought you pot? I don't want anything you ruined in my dinner. Okay. Well, you know, we really would love to figure out a way to make this right for you. And then the other guests kind of cajoled him and said, you should get a pasta. We're, you know, we're having fun. So we got the guy a pasta and he ate it. We also sent another pasta to the middle of the table for them to share. And then for dessert, we actually did a board, you know, like a, like a, like a big giant cutting board with every one of our desserts on it and, you know, and sent it out to them on us. Yeah. But his issue was he thought the entire meal should be cocked, including his friends and everything. Yeah. And there was just no way that was going to happen. You know, that's like, well, you know, I would refer to it as a disproportionate response, yeah. right? You know, and, you know, if you've got a hangnail, you don't amputate your foot, right? So yeah. it's like you figure out the right answer. And, and this guy, you know, just was, was argumentative for argumentative sake. And so it didn't stop there either because when he realized we weren't going to accomplish me, he sent me a scathing email the next day stating what, how awful we are in customer service and that we could learn from him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it got to the point where I was so I love annoyed that I, <laughs> I took, you know, I took the value of his dinner and sent it to a local charity. Yeah. And, and you and told emailed him. it to him. You explained <laughs> yeah. exactly what you, and you never heard back, correct? Uh, no, I never heard back. I actually postscripted the story as I understand the charity got a phone call from him just asking if, asking if I actually really sent it. <laughs> well, um, I, I mean, first let me ask, was there anything that you would have done differently in retrospect? Hindsight's always twenty twenty. I mean, would you, would you have done something differently? You, you know, I, in this particular instance, there's not much I would have done differently. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we, there are times where I look back, like there was another story in there where I, where I talk about the young cocky Jeff Benjamin who, who was going to make things right by sending a woman a, a, a long letter and some articles about our food, uh, yeah. which I probably would never have done. Uh, the older Jeff is wiser, and I would have said, listen, this is a woman who didn't like her experience. We already lost When you leave our four walls, we, we lost our chance to really make things right. You can help to repair it, but once you're gone, uh, it's really hard. And she had already left, and she was already upset, and there was not much I could do to get her back. Yeah. Instead, I exacerbated the problem by sending her a two-page typewritten letter yeah and you know I, I mean i think you i think this is like a textbook like you I mean the way you guys handled the situation was perfect this guy clearly was just one of those people that like you you just are just insatiable or that you just can't please them but i mean one thing that really stuck out to me 
is the uh, extent to what the Vetri group will do to make things right, uh, to acknowledge the mistake, not, you know, it doesn't matter who's right, but just to make sure what's important is the satisfaction of that guest. And people, we're going to make mistakes in this industry. It happens. We're all human. But what separates the great restaurants from the okay restaurants is the extent, the, the distance you're willing to go to make things right. I think you guys did a great job at that. This guy is just ridiculous. Um, but that comes up. A few you know, times we we as an industry have kind of created that too, right? Yeah. Because there are, um, you know, the human form is one that ties, tries to take the path of least resistance in the mm-hmm. face of confrontation. And so, you know, sometimes it's easier to throw a freebie at somebody mm-hmm. than to actually correct the problem. Mm-hmm. And um, so we've created a culture of people who expect, hey, if I write a letter, I might get something free. Yeah. And just, it, it, you know, there are times where I say, well, why would you want something free at a restaurant you just told me you hate it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, why don't I send you a gift certificate for one of my competitors' restaurants, I guess? You know, I'd rather fix the problem. You know, if, if the problem is that you're too cold in my restaurant, speak up and I'll turn the yeah. heat up. If the, if the problem is that your food's undercooked, speak up and I'll cook it more or I'll cook you a new one. But if you'd rather just wallow and let yourself get a ruined night so that you can get something free, there's not much I can do to fix that. Yeah. And, and you I'm, know, I just don't understand that, that mentality. And I have to take my hat off because, you know, or my hat off to you because in a time where um, it's like the standard operating procedure just to like, you know, give it away, give it away, even if it's not your fault. But I mean, yeah, there's some truth to that. But when I, I respect you for sticking to your guns and drawing a line because I mean it's gotten pretty bad where we get pushed around uh, to the you know the biggest extreme because people do know that you can just get away with so much because that's the new standard but you stick to your guns and you did it so gracefully uh, and you do it gracefully which is um, you know to be able to do that to share the story but then to be known for your hospitality still uh, I mean you're doing something right um, but one other thing that really stuck out to me in this book something I really want to dive into today uh, is your relationship with Mark. Um, huh? and I think that relationship is something we talked a lot about in the inter- the interview the, that we first did together is just how you guys are like the yin and the yang and you really just complement each other so well. Um, and I actually got together with Jefferson Macklin before this interview to talk about your book. And he said the one thing that stuck out to him in this book was the relationship between you and Mark and how he almost envied it. Uh, dive into that relationship a little bit more and what makes your business partnership with Mark Vetri so special. I think that, you know, uh, you know, actually it's funny because Jefferson and I have discussed this a few times, but he, he does say, hello. Um, he, by the way, he made sure to tell him to say hello. I think I want to see him next week. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's first off, you have to know your place in any relationship, right? If, you know, if you're, if you're married, you have to know what your spouse uh, brings to the table and what you bring to the table to, to meet in the middle. And, you know, there's plenty of what Mark does that I have no, not only do I not know how to do it as well as him, but I have no inclination to do it the way he does it. Similarly, he knows what I do, but he has no desire to, to do it. You know, and it's the intersection of those two that make it such a successful relationship, mm-hmm. you know. And there are plenty of things that both of us can do equally well. Um, and then we sit in a room and collaborate. But What are those no things? Point, I'm curious that you do equally well. Um, you know, we do, uh, we do our business planning pretty, pretty equally well. Um, our forward-looking kind of uh, view of, of the business and where we want to be and how we want to get there. Uh, our, uh, and although our specific dealings from a – from either a CRM or an HR standpoint could be, could be different. Our overarching goal of how we address both our guests and our, and our staff is exactly the same. Yes. You know, his whole goal is always let's bring out the best in all of our staff and here's how we can do yes. it. And, you know, there's a dignity piece to it. There's also a, let's be that tough parent piece, you know, so the two of those, but we both have that same ethos. Yes. Um, I, I'm loving your going here because just because that's what I noticed uh, is that culture. I was hoping you'd use the word culture, but all these things are a part of that culture. You guys both have such similar core values, I believe when it comes to that yeah. culture. Sorry to interrupt. But. No, that's okay. You know, it's, you know, it's tough sometimes when, you know, you have to make tough decisions regarding both your guests and your staff, but the reality is both of us take the same long view. Mm-hmm. Like, is this the best, is this the best decision for the company and for that person? And then we can, 
you know, that gives us an opportunity to kind of move forward, uh, uh, you know, and, and uh, so that, those are things that we do well together. And then, you know, obviously menu planning and culinary design, that's, that's him and making sure we remain solid. That's me. Yeah. And um, there's one line that I pulled from the book that just, I love Mark was, uh, he pointed to a line from a book that he was reading. And it was talking about treating the dishwasher with the same respect as you would treat with anybody else. Um, and I mean, what, I mean, what was that moment like with you? Like when you guys just had that moment together? You know, you cut out there for a second. What was the line that you said from the book? Uh, Mark pointed to a line from a book saying how you must treat the dishwasher with the same respect as oh. you treat everyone else. Uh, I think that was kind of, it was yeah. a little quick moment in the book, but it, was, it resonated yeah. with Yeah, it's actually, a, it's a big deal. Um, it's actually, and the person who wrote that was, uh, was, was Fernand Plot, one of the, the world-renowned chefs. Um, and that speaks to a larger thing than just being nice to your dishwasher, which yeah. you should because he's still a person. But it's um, at no point in your professional career should you ever forget that that could be a where you started and be one of the most essential pieces of the puzzle? Um, you know, we like we said that the, the quality of the food coming out of the kitchen is really only part of it. Well, the quality of the atmosphere in the kitchen, the quality of of the entire you know, restaurant, you know, hinges on it being you know clean and safe and fun to be in. And you know, you treat that guy with any kind of disrespect, and you're not getting your pans and your dishes, and you're, you're not able to expedite. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, imagine, imagine your dishwasher looks at you and said, you know, listen, you just treated me like, like, like dirt. You might get dishes for the, for the next turn or you might not, you know? So selfishly speaking, it's a good idea to be nice to them. Let's be, let's be honest. You know, each one of us, well, most of us in our industry, at least probably had that job at one point, yep. you know, I, I've done it. Um, and, and I know Mark's done it. So, you know, at one point, you know, do you say to yourself, you know, I'm above that? I hope not. No, I mean, I mean, there, every link in the chain of the restaurant industry is, is crucial. If you lose one of those links, like it, it, they're all so tightly connected. Uh, and, you know, it's hard work being a dishwasher. It's not easy. And uh, those guys show up. Under, under, underappreciated. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but let's talk, you know, to dive a little bit deeper on this relationship. You guys have been in, in business together. Was it 17, 18 years now? Uh, 18. 18 years. Uh, how has that partnership evolved since the beginning? Uh, well, you know, when I first came down here, I was, I actually worked for Mark. I wasn't a full on partner yet. A year into it, I became a partner. Um, and it, you know, it's hard to, hard to point to exactly how it evolved. Uh, you know, it was more organic than anything else, but, um, you know, I think it's how it evolved personally. You know, I'm actually consider myself a member of his family at this point. And, uh, um, so, you know, professionally speaking, it evolved because the company grew and now we're, you know, it's no longer a chef and a general manager who are partners with each other. It's, uh, a culinary director and an operations director who are partners and yeah, you know, so it's got a different face. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still there. I mean, before I got on with you, I was with him for the last hour, you know, I still start my week with him. And as much as we have different locations around the city and soon to be around the country, uh, you know, I still make time, you know, to make sure that we see each other and touch base every day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, we also, you know, we share all of our family events together. You know, I think that's the place where it evolved the most. Yeah. Um, in one of the things uh, that I love about this book, and it kind of goes back to some of those underlying words I sent earlier, is just the authenticity, the soul, uh, the you know genuine just passion and love for what you do. And that's one thing that I think we can all learn from you and Mark is the two of you uh, have such you know equal passion for both sides of the house, uh, but then. You focus on just happiness and enjoying your work, and you mentioned in the book that there was no part where you, you were, uh, you know, trying to chase a trend. You were just focusing on doing what you love and being happy. Uh, I mean, dive into the significance of that. Yeah. So um, I was I was counseling somebody. Who's, you know, every once in a while I'll get a call from someone who's a student somewhere or, or a business, you know, business student, even if they're not in our industry, and say, you know, like. I've got this idea for this business that I want to do. And I'll look at it and I'll say, well, are you, pas- are you passionate about it? 
and, you know, it's almost like a funny question. It's not like, can I see your business plan? Do you make profit? Right. You'll make a profit. You can make a profit being, you know, being, you know, uh, you know selling widgets and gadgets, I guess. Right. But, you know, do you want to be the best widget and gadget salesperson in the world? Or are you just kind of settling because you think you could make a living at it? Is that what's going to make you happy? Are you passionate about making money? That's fine too. But, you know, honestly, if, if you're looking at me with this business plan, okay, I don't know. I just thought it would be a good idea. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, then let's not do it because, you know, I've never met too many very successful people who just didn't love what they did. Yeah. You, know, you don't meet a whole lot of really successful folks. You know, I'm making a lot of money, but boy, does my life suck. Yeah, yeah. It, it just it doesn't work that it's way. It's not worth it. it it's not worth it. I mean, there's there's only so much room at the top in this industry too. It's such a competitive industry. It's if you're gonna survive, if you're gonna be happy, you really just you know if you're gonna have that competitive edge, you just need to really be able to show up every day with that same passion, that same energy, and it's so much easier if you truly love what you're doing. And that's kind of what I take away from that. Um, now, one other thing too that you put a lot of emphasis on in the book too is uh, staying fresh. And staying new, yep. what was old is new again. Um, I think that's something we can really learn from that that part of the book. So, what do you mean by what's old is new again? And dive into the significance of staying fresh. Well, you know, um, it's two two separate answers. So, one is the the what's old is new again. If you think about how uh, it might have even been as early as the '80s, but certainly the early '90s, mm-hmm. uh, everybody was doing farm to table. It was in quotation marks on every <laughs> every menu. And it became a little, you know, the mantra became stale. But then, as you start to step back from it, you thought to yourself farm to table was just a way of life. Yeah. You know, in the 17 and 1800s, right. You couldn't, there were no supply chains and there were no distribution channels. And, you know, if it didn't come from within a few miles of your home, you weren't serving it. And so that's kind of what I meant by what's old is doing it. You know, like it's all of a sudden really cool to serve the stuff the way that our ancestors used to, or maybe that's just the way we should have always been doing it. And, you know, I love the idea that we get stuff, you know, flown in from Europe if it's the most quality ingredient. I mean, local, the word local has changed because we have such access to things that were so distant before. I know a, a sushi guy who gets stuff flown in from Japan every morning. Well, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. You wouldn't force him to get his fish from the Atlantic just to stay true to the, you know, farm to table mantra. No, you get the freshest and best item you can. It's just that with today's technology, you can get it from Japan. No, you know, so there's a two par two prong answer, you know, so <laughs> I love let's how, keep it fresh. Let's keep, keep it, keep it, keep it exciting. But you know, fresh yeah. and local could be pretty distant. And in the book, you just, I think you just call it food. Like, let's just do food. Like that's what food is. <laughs> and I, I'm right. 100% there with you. I'll, I'll be honest. I forgot to put a space on my notes and I meant to ask these two questions separately. Thank you for correcting me. Uh, so we'll talk about what's old is new. And then, I mean, like you said, <laughs> like, um, I think so many people chase trends and they're seeing farm to table as a trend. Uh, but, you know, really, that's the respect we should give to food. That's what food should be. And I'm so happy that, you know, you say the mark in the book. If we ever, you know, market ourselves as far to table, like I quit. And I love that that, that culture <laughs> is just so there with you guys. And um, you have so so much clarity about who you are. And when that trend did come around, like you, you kind of just ignored it, which I think is really, um, you know, respectful. But um yeah, we were already there. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so let's talk about that evolving part now that I meant to that I mentioned before. Like you're always staying fresh. Uh, how do you stay fresh with, I guess, maintaining your identity is what I want to dive into. Because I mean, in business for years, do you stay fresh with new concepts, or are you just evolving your own like one concept at a time? It's both. Um, you know, but again, like for example, a pizzeria of entry, right? So there'll be probably multiple locations of that. And so someone could say, well, look at that. You're chasing the trend, fast casual is the trend. Mm-hmm. And I guess to some extent on the outside, it looks that way. But the truth is we did it because uh, we went to Italy and experienced some of the pizza culture because, you know, it's funny. We kind of did that last because pizzas become so universal. It didn't seem like something we really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And when we saw it done right, we were like, wow, we could probably do this. It'd be mm-hmm. fun. Let's, let's have fun. Let's do this. And 
realized that we could have fun opening a bunch of these. It's whether it's coincidence or whether it was just the driving force or not, you know, happens to be this thing now where a lot of, a lot of the, you know, better known chefs with, with kind of higher uh, elevated dining facilities also have a, a faster casual concept. We weren't saying to her, we never sat in a boardroom and said, all right, what's our fast casual concept? There was your fast casual. We sat in a room and said, what's the next thing we want to do? Do you want to, like you said, do you want to, you know, heighten ventry a little bit or do we want to do something new and cool? Do we want to have some fun with something? And everybody said, I'd love to screw around with some pizza. Do you think we could try that? And we said, sure, let's try pizza for a little while. So, you know, it was never like, let's chase that, that fast casual trend. It certainly doesn't hurt that the, that the country is embracing it. But I can tell you there would have been at least the one, no matter what, because we were so passionate about it. Yeah. If the country if the country weren't embracing it, we may not have done number two. But well, I mean, you know, it, we did. It seems like you were still holding on to your core values, your identity when you open these other places. What makes Veteran Group Veteran Group? But I mean, when you're talking about staying fresh, are you talking about just changing the look of things and staying modern, uh, not getting old? Like, is that is that? No, it's it's everything. Okay. You know, it's it's the food, it's the service style, it's even what the servers wear, it's mm-hmm. the uniform, it's. Uh, just now we took Osteria and we did a little rehab to the physical structure of the place because we wanted to freshen it up. It's giving it what it needs, you know? So if you have, you know, 10 children, you know, one child might need new clothes. One child might just need, you know, a new hairdo, who knows, you know, but you give the child what it needs. So Osteria needed some fixing up. It needed a new coat of paint. It needed some, uh, a fresh color, a different color in the private dining room. Uh, some of our younger restaurants maybe just needed a menu change and, and some, you know, we had actually a GM come to us at one of our restaurants and said, listen, you know, the other restaurants in our neighborhood are, are, are wearing more casual clothes for the servers. You have them a little bit stuffy and it's giving the impression that we're, we're not what we really are. And if you really want to tell people who we are, we should change our uniform. Okay, let's change the uniform, you know. So staying relevant, staying on top of, of, of what, your, what your restaurant needs. Yeah, and what's the best way to, to stay on top of what your restaurant needs? Like, is there a way be, to really... Be in them. <laughs> yeah. Um, you also put a lot of emphasis on comment cards, too. Like, you had this one experience where you were working at this place, and there was a bunch of comment cards in the drawer, and you're like, what, what the hell? <laughs> like, uh, right. So how do you listen to your restaurant, and what are some of the things that you're doing to really act on, like, little things that it will, it will tell you how to stay fresh, won't it? It should. I mean, you got to remember, you know, the source when it comes to a comment card. So yeah. hopefully you're using those as a, as a trend seeker rather than as uh, you, know, you get, let's say you get a hundred comment cards and you may have a hundred different opinions. You go crazy trying to figure out which one was, was the most salient of them. But if you see 10 out of that hundred all said the same thing about the same yeah. menu item or the same, Server. same table. Yeah. And then, then you got a trend, you know, but you know, we're in the technology age. So a lot of that's online. And again, you have to get through the noise on some of these online review sites. So you make sure that, make sure that you take it seriously enough to understand what you're reading. But you know, if, if you read 10, you know, you know, 10 Google, Google reviews and, and they all point, like you said, the same server or the same yeah. menu item, you know, maybe there's some cause for concern and something needs a corrective action, but, uh, you know, nothing beats being in the, in the room yourself and watching it happen. Yeah. And, um, now that we're on the topic of technology, I, I really want to talk about your take on technology. I think you do a really beautiful job of describing the significance of the technology and how you use it at Vetri group. Uh, t- talk to us briefly about your encounter, your first encounter with open table with Joe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell us about that. A little. So, uh, I was a little hesitant. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of it's, you know, stubbornness and, and some of it, but what really happened there, my, my big hesitation there was because the sales pitch didn't speak to me as a customer. You know, and if I keep talking to you about how we should treat our guests and, you know, anticipate their needs. So if a guest comes in and, you know, if they're a vegetarian, I won't, I won't inform them of the virtues of steak. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure, you know, and so, you know, here's a guy who knows I'm into full service dining, who really knows that I like every aspect of the service. Uh, interaction telling me that I can eliminate one key piece of the service if I yeah. use this product. And to me, that was a bad sales pitch. You know, I was like, 
So in order for me to use your product, I'd have to, you know, fire my host. <laughs> you know, it just didn't, didn't resonate with me. But, you know, and the end result is uh, an online reservation tool in, in early 2000s was, was awesome. You know, it's like cutting edge. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as it was used correctly. And so once we finally implemented it, we were able to kind of more dip our toe into that water. It made a lot of sense. And now, you know, technology's leapfrogged. You know, it's not just guest attainment. It's it's guest feedback. It's mm-hmm. understanding what they ordered. And now, now you have you know, online reservation systems that marry with your POS that can tell you that guy's been in five times and each time he's ordered the same bottom of the line, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, the data out there about our guests. So at the end of all of that, you, you come to the conclusion that you're, if you use some of these tools most efficiently, you really get to know your guests better. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy this is where we are now because uh, what I had written and underlined a bunch of times is, you know, enforce the guest relationship. Uh, and I mean, you, you say that this is a business of developing relationships. You say that in your book. And I think that's sometimes people, we adopt technology to automate things and, and we can get trapped because that might make the uh, relation, the interaction less personal, like less uh, intimate and the truth. Like we need to be not, using like yeah we can't automate parts of this industry using technology but we should just use that as a way to do relations even better and i think that i mean that's why i took away from that story is you use open table not to automate the reservation process but to take it to the next level to heighten the experience to pull this information to to call your guests and to confirm and to use all these like little pieces of information to really show them that you care and there's countless examples of how we can use technology to do this but that's what i took away from you is to use it for heightening guest relations I mean, do you want to elaborate more on that yeah, well, that's exactly right. So if, if the proper sales pitch would have been, here's a way for you to connect with your guests and with your staff better. Mm. So you're going to free up your staff to do more guest interactions, more personalized exactly. service. Then um, then I would have probably been more apt to buy it. So the new, the new stuff coming to market is all that. It's, mm-hmm. it's here's data to help you reach the right guest, the guest who really wants to come, the guest who may not have heard of you, um, the guest who's already been there, and you'll know what their what their opinion of it is. That's 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 how you use technology. Yeah, I love it. And just to get time back in the day in your, for yourself in the restaurant, so you can focus on developing those those relationships with your inner employees and your uh, your guests, and also for your guests, like like No Wait, for example, like a, like a, an app to help you you know fill tables so people don't have to be sitting in your waiting area waiting where they can just go walk around and get an alert saying, oh, your table's ready. Now you're respecting their time. There's, I mean, it's just efficiencies all over the place that create a better experience and a better for everybody. Um, yeah. So, I mean, is there anything that we didn't discuss so far uh, from your book that you, you wanted to bring up like a message or one topic in the book that really is important to you? You know, it's not just one singular message uh, that I would point to, um, but the overarching theme of, uh, and you started the conversation with, you know, the dignity piece, mm-hmm. right? So, um, the dignity of, of, of kind of everybody involved matters, right? So it's not just the service staff. It's not just the back of staff. It's not just your guests. It's the partnership that we create amongst all of them. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is there's no one size fits all approach to, to hospitality. And, you know, the sooner we figure that out, the better, the most successful you'll be because, and I pointed out in the book that you'll have, you know, on any given night, especially venture, which is a smaller restaurant, you know, if you got 35 seats in that restaurant and let's say we see it twice or 70 seats, you have 70 different requirements. And the, the minute you realize that you're dealing with individuals and individual personalities, the, the easier your job gets, because, you know, I point out that there's chains out there that they do these, these, these staff trainings as if there was just this generic guest coming into the restaurant. And I think my head explodes when I read about that stuff. It's like, 
you've completely taken the, the personalized aspect out of what we do. And, and restaurant and hotel is really the last bastion of human interaction you have now with, with e-commerce and, 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 you know, all that we can do from the, from our fingertips, you know, the kind of the last thing you can possibly still do only by going and, and experiencing it is, is what we do. Let's keep it relevant and real. And, uh, let's not, let's not water it down so much that you can do it anywhere. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the final thoughts, the closing thoughts that I had written down, um, for me, what this book did for me is it gave me pride really. I mean, at the core of it, it gave me pride to that, to know that I'm a part of an industry that I love something that not everybody can do that a special person does. And you, you really dive into the roles of each person, the expediter, the server, all these things, like the, the host, like how much is involved to do it and to do it well. And I don't, don't think people realize just, you know, stop for a minute look at what you do and know that, you know, damn, like we're good at this or I'm good at this and it's not easy and you should be proud of it. And that's what it did for me. It made me proud to be a part of something, an industry like this. Um, Thank you. No Glad to hear that. No, thank you. Uh, and I mean, th- this book will be in the show notes. Uh, just head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash two twenty nine. You'll find all the links right there. A recap of today's discussions. And um, yeah, I mean, before we wrap up, is there any final thoughts you have? Uh, no, just you know, just keep having fun, and, and hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're you enjoy what we do for a living, and and you've done some of the hard stuff, and you've done some of the easy stuff, and you still showed up for work the next day, and keep trudging along, and, and, and again, really, just keep having fun. Yeah, awesome stuff, Jeff. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, again to come join me and to, to spread knowledge about this book, uh, and for taking the time to write the book for those people in the front of house. Awesome stuff. Uh, there is no questioning; you are unstoppable. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Cheers. Thank you. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurants Unstoppable. I hope you guys do uh, pick up this book. Again, you can find the links at www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash 229. I'll have the links right there for you waiting. The One of the you know ongoing themes of Restaurant Unstoppable is just constantly sharpening the sword, constantly learning, pushing yourself, surrounding yourself with mentors. One of the best ways to do it, like you already know, is just to listen to the content of those who have come before us and you can surround them yourself with their books, whether they have blogs, and uh, just really absorb that mentorship. You don't have to have that one-on-one relationship. You can absorb mentorship so easily today with the content and material that's out there so do yourself the justice pick up this book expand your horizons learn you won't regret it uh some due diligence things we always got to cover at the end of the show is please leave those five-star reviews on itunes and stitcher radio they help so much with getting the show discovered shoot me an email eric at restaurant Love getting those emails. Uh, just letting me know how the show has helped you, what I can do to make the show better. Maybe you know somebody who would be a great guest mentor on the show. We'll get them on. We'll learn together from them. And uh, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash tools and resources. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash books for com- complete list of all the books and resources uh, our past guests have recommended. That's part of the mission of this podcast is to take all those recommendations uh, when you're trying to open your restaurant, try to filter through all the tools and resources that are out there to systematize your business, to make you a little bit more unstoppable. They're all right there, unbiased, uh, completely objective recommendations from our guest mentors right there. Do check that out. And um, yeah, that's it for today. Like always, thank you so much for joining us, uh, for making this show possible with your, you know, just uh, loyalty with listening. Thank you. Thank you. So appreciated. Until next time, peace out.